I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to know the difference between what is real and what is fake anymore. Clearly, our nation is struggling with this same reality as we try to discern what is real and what is fake when it comes from the words of our president, from Congress, from our news media. Anyone who's been paying attention to the news this past week recognizes that no one seems to know what is true and real and what is fake. It's tough to know anymore who's telling us the truth. But on a personal note, last week, someone also created a fake email account for your pastor and began to send out emails to some of you in the congregation asking for monetary favors. So on a personal side, it's hard to discern what is real and what is fake. If you received one of those, just know that I would never, as your pastor, ask you for any monetary favors ever. And if I needed to do that, I would ask you in person, not by email. What is real and what is fake? Truth be told, even daily there are people who manufacture counterfeit money and try to purchase things with it or even to exchange the fake bills for real ones. I was talking with a friend of mine who owns a restaurant here just a month or two ago and she was telling me how she has caught many people coming into her restaurant trying to do just that. There are people who are deceptive in trying to sell off knockoff merchandise, albeit handbags or whatever, or faked autographed sports memorabilia. I remember my wife even telling me about her grandmother who once purchased a diamond ring many years ago, and she decided to take it to a jeweler to have it looked at and to have it cleaned and to have it valued. And upon doing that, the jeweler told her that it wasn't worth anything because it was cubic zirconium. Deception comes in many forms, often blurring the lines between what is real and what is fake. And I find this to be true when it comes to relationships as well. You see, God created all of us to be in relationship with Him and with one another. And the church exists as a sign of God's community, called to have a genuine relationship with one another, centered in the common unity of our relationship with God. We are called to befriend one another and to live in our collective call as God's children to love and care for each other. But unfortunately, there are times that our friendships can be counterfeit. Sometimes what we thought was a diamond is nothing more than cubic zirconium. You know, the Bible has much to say about friendship. In fact, probably more to say about friendship than it does about marriage or even about parenting. The truth is, is that all of us have friends, and some of us have very close friends. Even Jesus had very close friends. Even amongst the disciples, three of them were very close to him, Peter, James, and John. There are some people, however, who are deceived into thinking that they have hundreds or thousands of friends thanks to Facebook and Instagram. Now, while well-intended, most of these friends are acquaintances who offer well wishes from time to time, but they're not really very close to us. Friendship is a gift, and sometimes it's hard for us to maintain our friendships because life happens, our life circumstances change, whether it's having children or maybe even moving to a new place, we can easily lose touch with those who are close to us. I find that friendship is a lot like gardening. It's 
takes work to maintain our relationships. Relationships have to be cultivated so that they can bear fruit. But sometimes, when left untended, weeds can also grow up and threaten our friendships. Our passage from 1 Samuel this morning highlights a godly relationship between Jonathan and David. David is the ruddy shepherd boy who is chosen by God to be the next king of Israel, anointed by the prophet Samuel. But he's also the one who rises up to the occasion and faces this Philistine giant that no one dared to face. And he did it not because he thought he had the most power or the most strength, but because he trusted in God to deliver him into his hands. Upon doing so, King Saul, Jonathan's father, is excited that they have... Uh, been able to defeat the Philistines, and he welcomes David into his home. It says that he refused to let him go to his own home. And it's there that his son Jonathan develops a deep friendship with David. In fact, apparently they became soul brothers. The scripture says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. For whatever reason, Jonathan was so drawn to David. In fact, the Hebrew literally translates it as he became soul-bound to soul with David. Now, it's a little ironic because Jonathan is the son of the king, the next heir to the throne of Israel, Samuel had anointed David king before he ever fought Goliath, and Jonathan is not aware of this. But Jonathan should see David as a rival, not as a best friend forever. But he doesn't. In fact, he makes a covenant promise with him. A promise of faithfulness to him, even above his father, which isn't just a social relationship. It is also political in nature. The Bible tells us that Jonathan loved David as himself, not just once, but twice, emphasizing the depth of his friendship. And in addition, he literally gives him the shirt off of his back, giving him his robe. Now, the robe was really important because it's symbolic of the kingdom. And what David is doing, essentially, is offering his place as the rightful king to David. In addition to that, he gives him what he would need, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. This act of spiritual friendship is very, very rare. Jonathan loves David. He is committed to him. And later, he's very honest with him regarding his father. And on the surface, it appears that King Saul loved David too, but his jealousy was disguised as love. His friendship with David was selfish He appreciated David's military success, but he hated that the people praised David more than himself. In fact, his relationship with David was all about what's in it for him. It looked like a diamond, but truth be told, it was nothing more than cubic zirconia. Saul even tried to kill David on several occasions, but did not succeed to do so. And it was Jonathan, his son, who tried to reconcile his father's ill will with David on several occasions, which eventually led him to have to tell David that you need to run away or he's going to kill you. Unlike his father, Jonathan's friendship was genuine, and he refused to allow power, wealth, or recognition to sever it. 
Proverbs 18, 24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jonathan was a reliable friend who proved that true friendship is more valuable than the next of kin. He sought David's best interests at the expense of his own. I don't know about you, but I find that reliability is a true mark of a friend. It really is. I mean, have you ever had a friend who promised to help you with something? Or maybe promised to do something with you, but canceled on you right at the last minute? Have you ever experienced that? You can nod your head. It's okay. Yeah, I think we all probably have experienced that before. Has this same friend done this time and time again? Or have you ever done this to one of your friends? We want friends who not only tell us what we want to hear, but who also keep their promises to us. This type of friend will do anything for you. They are committed, they are reliable, and they are trustworthy. But there's nothing more frustrating than being a reliable friend, but finding that same reliability is never reciprocated. Proverbs 25, 19 says, like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. In other words, that's a painful relationship to have. Years ago, I went to a ministry conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and as I was leaving the conference center and I was walking to my car, I noticed that there were three young girls walking ahead of me, not far in front of me. They were probably uh, college-age girls. And as I was walking, one of them fell right in front of me and began to have what I thought was a seizure. It startled me, it startled them, and immediately I dropped to my knees and I began to try to talk to her. And then I looked up to her friends and I asked, has she been sick? You know, what's been going on with her? And they were freaked out and they hardly said anything to me. Well, obviously, I'm in a foreign place that I'm not aware of, and I don't really know what to do because I'm not a doctor. So I picked up the phone and did what anyone else would do, and I called 911. And when I did that and I looked up, her two friends were running in the opposite direction. Seriously, they were running away. And it was apparent to me that they were doing something that they shouldn't have been doing and that they were not going to get caught for it with her. Thankfully, the paramedics arrived, and they helped her, and they got her in the ambulance and took her to the hospital where she received medical help. But she had no one, no family, no friends who knew that she was even in trouble. They abandoned her in her greatest time of need and then left her with a stranger. Reliable or unreliable? Proverbs 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a lifetime of adversity. Jonathan's love for David refused to abandon him just because his father wanted him dead. Newsflash, refusing the king can get you killed even if you are the son of the king. All right? In fact, in Saul's anger, it says that he he threw a javelin at his son. He was so angry with him. But Jonathan did not allow the evil of his father to stand in the way of his love for his friend. A friend loves at all times, even when adversity comes. I've shared with you guys before that in my first ministry call in Bennettsville, um, I had an accident 
in which I received severe second-degree burns. I was doing a fundraiser in which we were preparing chickens on the grill, 500 leg quarters. And um, in doing so, one of the grills went out, and I relit it, and it exploded on me, essentially. And it put me in um, the burn center at MUSC in Charleston, an ICU for nine days. I had very severe second-degree burns. It was the most painful experience of my life. And there's nothing worse than being in intensive care because you can't have visitors when you want to have visitors. You can only have them for maybe twice a day for an hour at best. And so it felt like an eternity waiting for Angela to come and be with me or for members of my family to be able to come back and to visit with me. But one particular day, I was sitting there, and it was not visitation hours, mind you, and in walks my best friend from college, Brett. And I was startled because, first of all, he lived seven hours away from where I was. And second of all, how in the world did he get into where I was? No one could come back there. And so happy to see him. I said, what are you doing here? I'm so glad you're here. By the way, how in the world did you get back here? And he said, oh, it was really easy, actually. I just told them that I was your rabbi. (laughs) Now you know what type of friends I had in college. And why he will never come to worship here with this group. Smith is such a Jewish name, right? Now, I laughed. I laughed so hard, I almost cried. And then actually, it hurt to laugh because I was in a lot of pain. Um, but, but he had traveled seven hours out of his way to see me. Because he was my friend. My best friend. Proverbs 26 says... Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find? Many claim it, but who's really faithful? So 12 years later, I had the privilege of returning the favor for him. He was not in a propane grill accident. He and his wife had just celebrated the birth of their second child, Isabella. She was born with a rare genetic disorder called trisomy 18. Now, I don't know if you know anything about that genetic disease, but most children do not survive after birth. And if they do, they don't survive very long. And Isabella lasted about three months before she passed away. I had been in conversation with Brett throughout this whole journey, praying for him and praying for her. And then he called and shared the news with me. And after praying on the phone with him, I flew to Washington, D.C., where they resided, to be with him and his wife and to do the funeral for his daughter. And I have to tell you, it was one of the hardest funerals I've ever done in my whole life. I've been in ministry for almost 20 years. I've done a lot of funerals. That one was tough. Now, I'm not his pastor, nor will I ever be his pastor. I am his friend, But in that particular moment, he needed a friend to be his pastor to bring words of comfort and hope in the midst of adversity and tragedy. You see, a real friend loves at all times and will do whatever needs to be done to help his or her friend in times of struggle. Love is not about what's easy or convenient or comfortable. Love moves us beyond ourselves to the needs of others. Do you love at all times? 
Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You see, Jonathan wanted what was best for David, and unfortunately it meant that David needed to run away so that his father Saul wouldn't kill him. He spoke the truth to him in love, even though it wasn't what he had hoped for. This would actually be the very last time that Jonathan would see David, for Jonathan is later killed in battle. But true friendship, according to what Scripture tells us, provides constructive criticism. It speaks the truth even when it's hard to hear it. While Jonathan and David had, Jonathan had told David that he had to leave if he wanted to live, oftentimes I find that you and I must tell our friends what they must do if they want to live rightly. We recognize that we're all imperfect people and sometimes we make mistakes and we need correction. Iron sharpening iron is not being afraid to say what needs to be said to correct our friends when they behave in ways that are contrary to our Christian call. But it's also affirming them when they live it out. It's encouraging them and also challenging them to seek what is best for their lives. You see, a knife sharpened by iron it's sharpened because iron is supposed to do that. That's what it does. But it does, does that in order that the knife might live into what it's supposed to do too. To cut. Together, as the people of God, we are not called to be sponges that are too soft to say anything. Nor are we called to be swords that cut our friends down. We are called to be rock solid. A sharpening iron so that they may be strengthened in their faith to live out God's calling in their life. Are we iron or are we sponges? You see, as I read the totality of Scripture, as we read the book of Proverbs and we find out what true friendship is all about, as I begin to examine the pages of Scripture, particularly the life of Jesus, I find that Jesus embodies every single one of these character traits. Jesus was a true friend to everybody, and particularly we get this glimpse of his friendship with his disciples, with the twelve that were with him for three years. He never abandoned them in their greatest time of need. When they were frightened on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a storm that had come in, and it was shaking and rocking the boat, and the winds and the waves were beating against it, they cried out to Jesus to save them, and he woke up from his nap, and he got out, and he calmed the wind and the waves. He commanded them to be still. He didn't jump out of the boat and say every man for himself. He was present with them in the midst of that storm. He was always reliable and committed to them in everything that they did. He even gave them authority to to drive out evil spirits and to heal the sick. He showed them the depth of God's love by raising the dead to life, healing the leper, the blind, the lame. And the sick, he, have, he freed those who were oppressed by demons. And he taught the disciples that even the little things that seem insignificant to us matter to him, such as making sure there's enough wine, even at a wedding. Jesus corrected them when they fought over who was the greatest. And he commended them and praised them when they got it right. Jesus said to them, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus not only taught them about friendship, he embodied it. He showed the greatest love by laying down his life for his friends, for everyone, and for all of us. Yes, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yes, there is a friend who loves at all times and who was born to be with us in our times of adversity. Yes, there is a faithful friend with unfailing love that can be found. And yes, there is a friend who seeks to sharpen us, to speak the truth to us in love, to encourage and to affirm and to challenge us in all godliness. And his name is Jesus. Friend of sinners, but who calls us out of our sin and into his marvelous light. And he has shown us what true friendship really is, what genuine relationships are to be. And he has called us to live that with one another. Now, I have to be honest with you. I know we confessed a little while ago, but I'm going to take a moment to confess again, so forgive me. That's what you have to do as a church. But there is a hymn in our hymnal. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I used to hate that hymn. I despised that hymn. I just thought it was terrible theology. What a friend we have in Jesus. Now, I have a lot of friends, and I don't need Jesus to be my friend. You know why? Because Jesus is my Lord, and Jesus is my Savior. My friends can't can't do what Jesus does for me, but if he's my friend, he can't do that. I often didn't want to sing it. I had to patiently endure it during worship services when we would sing it together. But I have to tell you something. As I've gotten older, as I've gotten a little bit wiser, I've come to appreciate that hymn. I've come to a new way of thinking about that. Because Jesus does tell us that he is our friend. We just read that together He changes that relationship for us because he reminds us that he is not just a God who is transcendent and who is in the heavens and who looks down on us from time to time to make sure that we're doing okay. The truth is, we read scripture that teaches us of a God who is transcendent and a God who is imminent. Open the pages of Genesis and you will find it right there as God speaks creation into being out of nothing. He is powerful. He is transcendent. And he can do that from way up there and make it happen. But if you read the next creation story, you will find a God who forms man from the dust of the ground and who breathes the very breath of life into his nostrils and gets right up in his face who is closer than close. That is Jesus, our friend, who has come that we might know him and have a relationship with God like none other. Jesus embodies what it means to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just divine and transcendent, he is, but he is close and he is the truest friend that you and I could ever have. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's true. It's true. He's the most reliable, the most loving, and the most honest friend you could ever ask for. And today, 
our friend Jesus calls you and I to be genuine, real friends too. And he tells us to love one another as he loves us. This means for us that our friendships are to be genuine. It's not about what's in it for us, but willing to love at all times without condition, to be reliable and to be committed to one another and to be honest with one another as we seek to sharpen each other in our commitment to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives. None of us here today have perfected friendship, but we have a perfect friend who is continually guiding and leading us to follow in his lead. And though we live in a world where it's often hard to determine what is real and what is fake, we are called together to exhibit a love and a friendship that is so genuine that it could never be perceived as anything false. So church, my prayer, God's prayer for us, is that we would love one another as ourselves. But Jesus takes that a step further, and he says, no, not just that. Not just like Jonathan and David. I want you to love like me. I want you to love one another as I love you. Truth be told, there's absolutely nothing fake about that. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.